Barney's filed for bankruptcy, Poshmark's data breach, and productivity hacks to take your day back. Welcome to Working Girl Talk. Welcome back to Working Girl Talk. Hope you've had an amazing week. Let's dive right into this week's stories because a lot happened. First one, the high-end department store Barney's New York has filed for bankruptcy. Early Tuesday morning, the company filed for bankruptcy with a plan to significantly reduce their footprint as it looks for a buyer. And this is something that CNBC reported and it said the retailer said it will focus on running only five of its more than 10 stores on New York's Madison Avenue, one in Manhattan, Beverly Hills, San Francisco, and Copley Place. It plans to close its stores in Chicago, Las Vegas, Seattle, as well as five other smaller concept stores. CNBC says that Barney's the latest victim in the retail upheaval as shoppers buy online and go to brands directly. They also reported that Barney's bad luck has been further exacerbated by extremely high rent, which I thought was really interesting. So even as sales have fallen, the rent to pay gets even higher. So they quoted that as cash to pay its vendors has dwindled, it's been left with out of season products or in some cases, no product at all. Yikes, Barney's. Though this isn't the first time Barney's has actually filed for bankruptcy. I thought it was interesting to note that they filed back in 1996 after a string of disagreements with its Japanese owner, department store company called Isotan. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. The filing was in part to renegotiate its deal with Isotan as well as cope with what it viewed as excessive rent. So they were even dealing with this back then. So my take on this is, do you agree that online is killing retail? I thought that was interesting that that was CNBC's main point on why this was happening. And I think in a lot of ways it is, yes. But I also think that maybe it could have to do with Barney's New York itself. I looked at a competitor. I was trying to figure out, okay, who can I look at that would be in a similar situation? Are they surviving? Are they thriving? I looked at Nordstrom because they're also a high-end department store and tried to see if they were feeling these same effects. I found a Forbes article from fall of 2018, so like around a year ago, that talked about Nordstrom's impressive growth actually, but a lot of that came from sales from digital platforms. Barney's does have a website. Why aren't they surviving? I wonder if it just goes back to that digital landscape. If you are in social media, you've probably seen a lot of posts about the Nordstrom anniversary sale from influencers. Nordstrom has really adapted to that digital platform. They have the app, they have the card. So they're just really embracing that digital landscape. And it makes me wonder if Barney's hasn't, which... I don't follow Barney's personally. I haven't really shopped there, so maybe I'm just not as informed, but it made me think about that because if they were embracing more of the digital side, maybe they wouldn't be having this much problems. So instead of focusing on the remaining stores, maybe focusing on building that digital side. And I will disclaim that I don't know all the numbers for both sides, but I just thought that was interesting that while this article from CNBC is happening a year later, Nordstrom is still reported to be doing well, but a lot of that being attributed to digital. So I thought that was pretty interesting. We'll see what happens to Barney's New York in the future. Next story, Poshmark's data breach. This is such a crazy story. So Poshmark is an online marketplace, if you don't know, where you can buy and sell clothes. Think Plato's Closet, My Sister's Closet, a lot of sustainability bloggers, 
post about selling items on Poshmark. Basically, it's kind of like a goodwill concept, but a lot nicer and you can make money giving clothes or selling clothes. So I hear a lot of good things about Poshmark and it's a great place to get discounts on nice items that have been gently used, gently worn. The website, which is said to have around 50 million users, reported a data breach last week, according to TechCrunch. In a brief blog post, Poshmark said that user profile information, including names, usernames, gender, and city data were taken by an unauthorized third party. They also said email addresses, size preferences, and scrambled passwords were also taken. Poshmark said it has hired outside forensics firm Kroll to investigate the breach. It also said it has rolled out enhanced security measures, not clearly specifying what that means. But spokesperson Sarah Michael said law enforcement was contacted, but not state regulators because the nature of the information was not financial. So another one bites the dust when it comes to data breaches. If you use Poshmark, make sure to go check your account, check your password, make sure everything's okay and watch your data for a little bit. This just goes to show we're in in this, like a lot of good comes from being in this digital era, but also a lot of bad because with every new advancement we make, there's also new advancements and bad things too. So in these data breaches, so I, and I think this is probably one of the many that I've reported on to you guys on Working Girl Talk. So it's just something to keep an eye out, making sure that you have really strong passwords. And sometimes you can't control it if somebody just breaches the platform that you're on, but just something to keep in mind when we are using these. And at least Uh, that they claimed that the nature of the information was not financial. It was just more personal information, which is still bad, but at least it wasn't financial information. But one to watch again, because I don't think this is the last time we'll be hearing about data breaches. Next story. I told you we're going to have a lot of news stories today. A lot happened. A new report by Vice reveals another crazy marketing tactic tactic from Grubhub. So I didn't realize, but Grubhub has actually been under fire recently for other crazy marketing tactics. So let's get into this latest one. So Grubhub is attempting to maximize their commission fees it can charge to restaurants when customers order through the service, because that's what it does. It is a platform that can't Grubhub, if you don't know, is a platform that you order food from, they can deliver it to you, but also a lot of companies or restaurants use it to have an online ordering system. So you would still go pick it up, but basically you're using Grubhub as the online ordering system. So you don't have to figure that out on your own. It's kind of nice, but Grubhub does take a cut of that. So the crazy story here is that Yelp which is a Grubhub partner, quietly, this is what Vice reported, quietly hides a Grubhub affiliated phone number when you choose to call a business from the Yelp app. What? So uh, Vice and also of The Verge did a report on this. So I'm going to be taking a lot of what they said. So I'll just tell you when I'm quoting them, uh, just because it's a lot of stuff going on. So Vice reported, as detailed by Adrian Jeffries for Vice, a Yelp listing for a restaurant shows the correct number for the business. If users click to order delivery or takeout, they are presented with the option to order through a deep linked Grubhub app. However, if they click the actual phone number listed to call the business directly, the phone number that appears on the dialer is not the official one that is shown on the listing. Instead, a different number is used so that Grubhub could track it as a marketing call, quote unquote, giving the company the ability to bill restaurants upwards of 30% commission instead of fees as low as 3%. So if you've ever been on the Yelp app, seen the business listing and clicked the call button, basically what is listed as a phone number, like spelled out and what you click on the call button are different. So Yelp is making like a Grubhub specific phone number. So that it's tracked through Grubhub as a marketing call. 
which would mean that the cost is higher because it's or the cost is higher for the business because it looks like it's being attributed to Grubhub rather than them just using Grubhub's platform to order online. So when customers use these Grubhub generated phone numbers to make orders, it is able to charge restaurants higher commissions. The New York Post actually reported that restaurants are also seeing increased commissions build even for the calls that don't result result in an order, such as inquiries about restaurant hours, allergies, all that stuff. A spokesperson for Yelp told Vice, it is our understanding that Grubhub has marketing agreements with some restaurants that allow Grubhub to utilize referral numbers on third-party sites like Yelp. As I mentioned earlier, Grubhub has been under heat for interesting, to say the least marketing practices before a report by new food economy in June found that Grubhub had been creating tens of thousands of dummy websites that list unaffiliated contact information about restaurants. So which they got under fire for that as well. If Yelp, if Yelp is a Grubhub partner and in some small print somewhere that like that partnership, they agree to do that. I don't know if anyone can actually do anything about it, but just make sure if you are curious about this, go check on your Yelp app or even the Yelp platform to see if that number you're calling is actually the number that is listed. It's just interesting. I thought like, wow, like what an interesting tactic and like there must be some fine print somewhere that makes that okay. But we'll see if Grubhub gets under any more heat for this. We'll see what happens with that. But thought that was interesting to share if you share if you have the Yelp app. I'd check it out, see what happens. And for our fourth and final story, I was super excited about reading this, so excited. So HubSpot released a study this week that they did on Instagram engagement. This is amazing. They launched two different Instagram accounts, posted the same content at the same time, same hashtag, same everything for 30 days. But the difference, one was using a bot to do all of its engagement, the other a human. So in 30 days in short, the one with the bot engagement grew about 180 more followers. So they almost had like 800 followers by the end of the 30 days. But the one with the human interaction that engagement rate was three times higher. Also, the audience of the human engaged account had more influential people in there and real people, whereas the bot account had more bot followers. And bot as in B-O-T, like robot. So... As you know, I think I've talked about this before. I'm so anti-engagement bot. I just feel like it's so inauthentic. And if you're trying to build a brand on Instagram, why would you want fake followers? Because that means not real people are even seeing your content. So how could you even make an impact? So loved this study. Go check it out on HubSpot's blog. They released it this week. So check it out. There's a lot of good data in there. It's really long. That's just a basic summary of it. But I just love that test because not everyone has the time or resources to do a test like that. And they basically proved it it was the same content, same hashtags, same time, same everything. But the difference was bot versus human ran, which I loved. So definitely go check that out. Honestly, one of the highlights of my week. (laughs) So now it's time for our working girl talk topic, how to own your day. Do you ever feel like your day is owning you? You're maybe running late, all the tasks keep piling up, your to-do list just keeps getting longer and longer. You just don't feel productive. Well, I'm here to help. So today I'm sharing seven productivity hacks to put you at your peak performance and take your day back. Starting it off, 
A recent flex job survey reported that only 7% of workers feel most productive during work hours. There is a variety of reasons for that. I mean, take what you want with that. Some people don't like the traditional nine to five because that's probably what they're talking about, regular work hours, but it can be a lot to how you're using it and how you set yourself up for that. So I'm going to run through these seven tips to make your day more productive, make you feel more productive, and just take control of your day and just be at peak performance. So tip number one, a productive day actually starts before your day even begins. Basic tip, plan your outfit the night before. And if there's anything else you can plan the night before, do that as well. I once listened to a podcast with Tim Ferriss, who is awesome. You should check out his podcast if you don't already. Um, And he was talking about limiting choices in the morning. So when you first get up in the morning, you don't want to waste all your energy on figuring out what to wear, like sitting in your closet for 15 minutes, going down okay, what do I eat for breakfast? Because you're wasting all that energy making decisions, whereas that energy could be focused on actual items you need. Because then if you're focused on so many small decisions in the morning, by the time you get to work or you start your job, you're already spent. So I love that idea. So plan your outfit the night before. And also I listened to a podcast with Lorna Jane, um, the founder of the active work company, Lorna Jane. And she talked about how she plants her outfit the night before, especially if she's going to exercise, which usually she does. So planning that exercise outfit the night before and that um, work outfit. So she hits the gym right before, like, so kind of having that all ready too. So depending on what your day is like, but planning out your outfit the night before, planning even your breakfast. I think that one's something that holds people up a lot of the time too. If you are somebody that eats breakfast, um, or planning out that smoothie, making sure all the ingredients are right in the fridge. So whatever you can do to plan out those little morning choices the night before will increase your productivity because you're not expending so much energy on basically choices that don't matter that much. First thing in the morning, tip number two, don't hit the snooze button. I'm a big advocate for this. (laughs) If that's a thing to advocate for, uh, that's my cause in life. Don't hit the snooze button. It's so hard not to, but if you hit the snooze button, that's your first choice for the day. Your first choice for the day is putting something off. I just feel like symbolically, that's not a good thing to be doing. Like that's setting yourself up for a day of putting things off almost like laziness in a way, which maybe I I think I think about it too hard, but like, just hear me out for a sec. So you're making that choice to put something off and be lazy. And most of the time it tests this out. If you don't believe me, most of the time, the first time you wake up, you should just get up and wake up because if you fall back into sleep, you end up being more tired because your mind gets back into that sleep rhythm. So then if you wake up like 15 minutes later, you're kind of out of it because you're already back in that sleep rhythm. So don't hit the snooze button just get up right when you wake up. Tip number three, make a to-do list. So I like to do six things I'm going to get done that day and prioritize them based on basically priority. And those are my like six things I have to get done that day. And I do this for like work tasks, but then I also have a few extra ones like personally too. Like, oh, am I going to work on my podcast script? And along with that, where I work automatically, like that's like our thing there anyway. We like prioritize what we're going to get done that day anyway. But if you don't, that's a great way to have because then like crossing off that to-do list just makes you feel productive. And then you have some focus because if you don't have a to 
to-do list or no direction what you're going to do that day. You kind of meander around between tasks and then nothing fully gets finished or things slip through the cracks and you don't even start on anything at all. So love a to-do list. And then even going a little bit further on the to-do list, if you can prioritize maybe getting two of like the easiest or quickest things done first, then that kind of sets you up with some confidence for the day because you're able to cross off two things quickly. So kind of assess that list after you make those six items, seeing what um, can be done uh, more quickly and crossing those, getting those done first. So then it kind of boosts your confidence so you can be ready to take on the bigger tasks. And then you feel more comfortable doing so because like, oh, cool, I only have four tasks left. Number four, time batching. So Lauren Everts of The Skinny Confidential, love her. Her podcast is awesome. She talks a lot about time batching, which it's funny. I didn't realize there was a name for it, but I guess I was already doing it. But time batching is basically timing out what you're going to do when, like just being hyper focused with your schedule and she actually has a little like block timer on her desk she talks about it has like a timer of how long a task is going to take you and like you need to get it done in that time so if you have like an hour to do something that timer's running and you can keep like switching the block to different times. So basically just having a set schedule of how long everything's going to take, when you're going to do it, which if you are someone that thrives under a deadline mentality, that's something that's really helpful. And I think it just keeps you more in focus because if you know, okay, I have an hour to do this, you're more hyper-focused on it rather than, oh, I have the whole day. Maybe you'll kind of get distracted and look at other things. So one task with one time limit. So you're not working on anything else, just that one task, which I love because you're hyper-focused. Next tip, eating right and eating enough. I know this is, it's kind of basic, but hear me out on this because if you are starving, you will not be focused. And like, trust me, I've been there and honestly, think about it. You've probably been there too, but you didn't realize why. If you are so hungry, you all you can think about is, oh man, I'm so hungry and you are not at peak performance. So making sure that you're eating right, eating enough, but also not eating too much. Like, so it's a fine line here, but if, also if you're too full, especially when that afternoon hits at work, if you're too full, you're gonna wanna fall asleep. So eating right, eating enough throughout the day, making sure that you have the nutrients and the a full stomach to be able to work. Because if you are hungry, you will be distracted. Like just plain as that, even like the sound of your stomach growling will distract you. <laughs> so, and you want to be productive. You want to be focused. Make sure you have snacks. Make sure you have packed a lunch that day. Also going back to our tip number one, if you want to pack a lunch the night before, that takes that choice out of the morning and also takes that small choice throughout the day. So you don't have to figure out what you're going to eat for lunch that day. So we're all about being productive in our choices. Tip number six, limiting distractions. So how to do this? Email is very distracting. Your phone is very distracting. And this kind of ties into the time batching one. When you're hyper-focused on something for a certain amount of time, you don't really have a chance to be checking your phone or checking your email. One of the biggest hangups people have is checking their email throughout their day. So I would suggest to limit these distractions by setting a time. Like I check my email at 9 a.m. and I check it at 3 p.m. And those are the times where I respond to people and I check it and that's it. Because if you have your email constantly open all day, bouncing back and forth, that means the task you're working on, you're not being fully focused on it. I'll throw in texting too, because if you have, like maybe if you're getting too distracted with texting, texts for the most part don't need to be responded to right away. So you can kind of follow that same rule. Like, okay, like on my lunch break, I'll check my phone for texts or, oh, I'll check Instagram. So kind of building out different breaks where you can do that, but not throughout 
and not unscheduled. Sticking to that time batching schedule will help limit these distractions, but also designating a time for distractions so they're not distractions anymore. Tip number seven, last tip, take a break. So kind of like you're like, wait, what? You just told me to be productive. Why would I take a break? But listen to this. So Psychology Today actually reported that taking breaks refreshes the mind, replenishes your mental resources, and helps you become more creative. Although it may seem counterproductive, there are multiple studies that show that taking short breaks throughout the day can boost your productivity and creativity. Psychology Today also said aha moments, so like those little light bulb moments, came more often to those who took breaks, which I think goes back to, yes, we want to be hyper-focused, but if you're focused for so long, you kind of burn out. So making sure when you're doing like, let's see, time batching, I'm going to get these three tasks done today. After that, maybe take a five minute break, go for a walk. Um, Also looking through all this like Psychology Today data, um, exercise and just being physically active also helps spark that productivity because it increases those endorphins. You're happier, which means you're more productive. So taking like a little like five minute walk, uh, making go getting some water, getting up, going to the bathroom, something to just kind of get you away from your desk. If you have a desk job, whatever kind of job you have, but making sure to take breaks because yes, you want to be hyper-focused, but you cannot be like a sustainable hyper-focus if you don't take breaks because you'll just burn out by midday probably. So making sure to take breaks. So I'm going to do a quick run through of our seven just to wrap this all up. So one, planning simple tasks the night before so you don't have to make these small decisions in the morning. Two, don't hit the snooze button, just get up. Three, make a list of the things you're going to get done that day, prioritize them and check a few of the smaller ones off first thing. Four, time batching, love that timing tasks and making sure you're focusing on one task at at one time. Eat right and eat well. Six, limit distractions. And seven, make sure to take a break. So hopefully these productivity hacks help you have a more productive day, try some of them and think about it in that mindset of I want to be a peak performance. I want to be productive and kind of manipulate them to how they work for you. So, and also let me know if you have any questions about this and if any of these work for you. So now for my Friday favorite, before we go, shout out to Diana Elizabeth on Instagram, because she shared this on her story. And now I'm obsessed with it. Glamour magazine has these money surveys that they do anonymously with people. So I saw this one with a blogger and CEO living in New York. So basically it's a 10 minute video where their face is blocked, but it's them kind of talking about their whole financial situation. And it's cool because it goes through their whole apartment and little like price tags pop up. So you see how much everything costs in their apartment, how much rent is, even as she's pouring like this almond milk into her coffee, it has a price tag on the almond milk. Like the graphics are amazing and it's just done so well. And like, just to see like, another person's financial situation because you don't ever get to see that because money is not talked about a lot. It's really fascinating. So go check out Glamour Glamour Mag's money surveys. It's fascinating, kind of scary. Maybe it's because I live on the West Coast and I don't really understand New York prices, but just hearing um, the CEO and blogger talk about how she pays $9,000 in New York apartment rent for like a small apartment. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, like $9,000 a month could get you something great over in in Arizona or Nevada or Texas. So kind of funny there, but the video is done really well. And it's interesting to see another person's financial situation, especially um, somebody who's like a blogger and owns all these online businesses, because that's something that's a little bit non-traditional. So kind of hearing what they're doing a lot to learn from that stuff that you can learn to do things not to do. 
I was really fascinated by it. So look up Glamour Magazine's money surveys. And actually the blogger and CEO who was anonymous came out and she said like, oh, like that was me and kind of like owned her story, which was really brave of her because she even admitted that some of her money practices were not that great. Like not having really like a savings account or like a retirement plan. That's what it was. Her name's Alyssa Melendez. Really interesting. So go check her out. Go check that out. It's just fascinating to me. And with that, I will leave you. Have an amazing rest of your week. And make sure if you haven't yet to leave a review for Working Girl Talk. I always love to hear what you have to say. And we will have some exciting stuff coming up soon. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Working Girl Talk. And if you want to follow me at Abby Zufelt, uh, I love connecting with each and every one of you. So thank you so much for listening today. I will see you next week.